you can always come back to a place that makes you comfortable and that uh, is so memorable and indelible that you'll never ever forget it. And that's what this place is to me. So memorable, indelible, um, precious uh, in the sense that, um, y you know, we've been able to keep this area kind of like it was. Uh, we've been able to to realize how precious this whole uh, area is to um, to our ourselves and the generations that are going to uh, follow us. Um, my fourth word would probably be um, significant, because I think that, arguably, and, and we talked about this this morning. I really think that historically, uh, this area is as important to Western Canada as any other area, including Batoche, arguably, uh, including Fort McLeod, including, uh, I think that the southwestern part of what is now Saskatchewan uh, was a distinguishing portion of Canadian history, and it happened right here. Um, do you think it's a crazy thing for uh, somebody from central Canada to come out here and walk uh, 300 kilometers across the prairie? Crazy as hell. <laughs> I wondered when you first did it, but I've, I've heard enough about pilgrimages around the world that uh, it seems very unusual, but uh, it's, there's nothing crazy about it. I mean, it's, um, it's a historical, it's a walk through history. Welcome to Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. I'm Matthew Anderson. During this time of limited travel, a lot of us are missing the long-distance trails we love. One of the ways I've been keeping in shape is by marching up and down my staircase. While I do, I think about the paths I've walked and the folks I've met from the Scottish Borders region to the Treaty 4 and Treaty 6 territories. I hope you'll join me. Maybe one of these trails will tempt you. Today, we're crossing Treaty 4 territory. We're following the last traces of Métis traders and hunters along the so-called Traders Road, which also became known as the Northwest Mounted Police Patrol Trail between Wood Mountain and Cypress Hills. This is not a trail that you're likely to know. It's not on any maps anymore, which is exactly why we were walking it. For us to sing our song? Sure. You ready? You may as well. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the java java and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. I love Those voices you're hearing are me, Matthew Anderson together with Catherine Scott and Madonna Hamel. When this was recorded, it was about 9 p.m. on a summer evening. The sun was turning the western sky at orange-red, and in the growing darkness, the coyotes were starting to call. 
We were set up in a lonely prairie valley by the name of Chimney Coulee in southwest Saskatchewan, or Treaty 4 territory, just north of the American border. Coulee is the Meshif, or Métis word, for a prairie ravine, or a valley. This place was called Chimney Coulee because about 150 years ago, there was briefly a, an Yvernon, or overwintering Métis trading community there, and briefly even a small Hudson's Bay Company trading post. The community and the bison it depended upon, soon disappeared. For years, all that was left were the chimneys of those fireplaces. Now even those are long gone. Now the valley sits quietly under the poplars and the trembling aspens, the hills home to deer, coyotes, and that evening, us, and our tents, and our singing. It was a full moon that evening. It had been a great day. We'd spent the first part of the day walking along the Frenchman River, sometimes called the White Mud in that area, up and over plateaus of prairie grass. On the hills, we'd come across dozens of lodge rings or teepee rings dating back over centuries. We'd also scared up the first half-wild horses of our walk. We were soon to see many more. The day had been hot, but not unbearable. Our group was in fine spirits. We'd set up our tents under the aspens and a shelter to protect us from mosquitoes, and we'd managed to pick most of the spear grass and the burrs out from our boots. Just after that song, we dug into a dish of freshly made beans that prairie photographer James R. Page had brought with him when he drove in to meet us. It was James who recorded the song. After we finished singing, we heard the coyotes singing back to us from the nearby hill. If you listen, maybe you can hear them too. They like the moon. That's not very far away. No, none at all. I swear you could just... I just want this. They haven't stopped already. It was very quick. Oh, I never have to... Full moon. We'll be going all night. It'll be a busy night. Oh, did you hear the... There's so much I'd like to tell you about this trail that I hardly know where to begin. This walk was very close to my heart. Maybe it's that we were walking paths that hadn't been walked in over a century, that are in danger of falling from memory. Maybe it was that the walk had been my crazy idea and that actually it was happening. Maybe it's that we were mostly descendants of settlers who were walking on treated territory from which now resurgent Nahiyao, Assiniboine and Métis had once been pushed, the treaties broken to make room for our ancestors. Maybe it was that we passed by or through so many former farms and communities that once gave southern Saskatchewan its unique character, but have since dried up and disappeared so many of them. There is a sadness to an abandoned prairie farmstead unlike any other place. But maybe, most of all, it was because this particular pilgrimage was on the land where I grew up. It was full of memories for me and for my parents, who were at that time both quite ill and living out the last months of their lives. I was seeing once more with my own eyes the hills and valleys where my mother and father had ridden horse to country schoolhouses, 
where they uh, trapped furs and courted and gone to neighborhood dances and struggled to make a living. From his hospital bed, my father had been telling me stories about just the land that we were crossing. Reading about the ways that the treaties were made and then dishonored by the Canadian government just before the arrival of my grandparents, I had learned that this land was not as much my land as I'd thought. As I walked, I had a lot to reflect on. Louise Bernice Half is my name. I just told you my Cree name, which means sky dancer, loosely translated into English. Right. And of course, she's a poet and a writer and uh, is very modest with regards to her many accomplishments. Uh, I'm Peter Butt. I'm Louise's spouse. Let's start with the most important things. I uh, work as an associate professor in the College of Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. I, my background is in family medicine, but I specialized in addiction medicine. This last summer, while taking precautions, Hugh led a group of walkers back onto that same trail. I was unable to join them because of the pandemic, which was much less prevalent at that time in Saskatchewan, and they did take precautions while they walked. You can find a great article on their pandemic trek, written by my friend and fellow walker, Connie Sykes. Google Connie Sykes, S-Y-K-E-S, and the title, Revisiting the Northwest Mounted Police Trail, and you'll find the article. Given how much I was missing the trail, I decided to check in with two of last summer's walkers. We met in uh, 2018 on the Frenchman Trail from Mortlach to, to Gravelberg, but I, I'm interested in, in the walk that you just took that I could not come with you on because I am uh, stuck here in England and would love to have walked on that trail. So what trail did you just walk? It, it followed the Royal Northwest Mounted Police Trail, at least sections of it. Uh, that particular trail went from um, Wood Mountain to Fort Walsh, but we started in the area of Val Marie, which is uh, on the east side of the uh, Grasslands National Park. The beauty of this particular trail was that a lot of it still, co still covered pasture land or community pasture that was unbroken, unbroken land. So you could see the, uh, the wheel ruts from the 1800s. You could see the trail visually. Unlike other trails that have been broken up because of agriculture, this historical trail was intact in places. And not only could you see the trail, but of course the, the prairie was there, the land was there that they would have crossed. Unlike a lot of trails in say Europe or elsewhere that are marked and are, are very, very clearly set out as walking trails, if you want to walk across a Treaty 4 territory, um, and, uh, and on what is now agricultural land, it's not that easy to do, is it? No, it's not. No, and, and kudos go to Hugh Henry, of course, who obtained permission for us to walk along this trail. Now, uh, signposts have been erected through the Saskatchewan History Society, and uh, Hugh has been uh, really diligent in checking up on these signposts. Uh, sometimes they've been knocked over by cattle, and um, lost, sometimes they're vandalized, but at any rate, they're being restored through his efforts and um, reestablished so that the trail can be marked for, for posterity. And that was one of the tasks that, that we had to look for these signposts and uh, he would GPS mark them because sometimes they're in very isolated areas uh, where cattle 
Rome. People may be on horseback, but otherwise there's, there's very little contact. How did that land make you feel? Maybe I'll ask you, Louise. How did that land make you feel? Well, it depends on, on um, what part of the land. I, you know, I, I just love it so much. I think one of my favorite uh, parts was walking what I perceive as desert land. Uh, if you've ever been to um, Drumheller, where the, where the hoodoos are, it's desert light. That was, we walked that on a particularly challenging day where the temperatures were 37.8. It, it was like, almost like climbing the hoodoos at some point because the terrain was really a challenge. It was rough. Um, there's a lot of climbing up and up and down climbing. And um, I really concentrated on um, taking my time and, um, and, and drinking plenty of water and talking to my ancestors. It was beautiful. You would have loved it, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know I would have. Have you ever had the experience of going back to a place where you grew up and seeing it with different eyes? That's what this was like. Add to that the kind of meditation that happens naturally on a long distance walk where the rhythm of your thoughts and the rhythm of your feet kind of come together and you have a powerful life altering experience. I guess that's why so many of us like long distance walking. In a world that's so plugged in, as you probably know if you're a long distance walker, it's a chance to unplug and to connect instead with, with the elements, with the wind and the terrain and the smell in this case of the prairie sage and the feelings of our feet swelling in our boots. As Indigenous scholars and writers like Margaret Kovach or Leanne Betasamose Simpson tell us, the land will speak to us, but we have to be in a place to listen. The stereotypical view of so many people, including the vast majority of Canadians of Southern Saskatchewan, is what they see when they put their car in cruise control in Winnipeg and don't take it off until they reach Medicine Hat. So they're going through agricultural land. It, it's rugged, uh, there are coolies and uh, cactus, very dry, it was very hot. But um, I think that's something that was striking for a lot of people. They began to appreciate that the topography of Saskatchewan is much more than the flat agricultural plain. And we saw a lot of wildlife in terms of um, deer, uh, antelope, did we see antelope? Yep, yeah, deer, antelope. antelope, yeah. We didn't see any rattlesnakes, but on one of the, the last day of the hike, when we were climbing up a hill, we came across this incredibly large, what I would call a lotus, I suppose, but a grasshopper. And it was, um, the, the color was almost iridescent. Isaac Cowie's Hudson's Bay Trading Company post at Chimney Coulee lasted only very briefly from 1871 to 1872, and it's long gone. So is the Northwest Mounted Police post that followed the Métis camp in the early 1870s. All that's left now are a few depressions in the prairie grass and some spots where a briefly funded archaeological dig carefully pried up the earth in one-foot squares. Standing now in the sun by the Karagana bushes, listening to meadowlarks, it's hard to imagine that on that very spot, 
Cowie worried about Blackfoot incursions into Cree territory from just over the hill. It's hard to believe that even though Cowie eventually judged the place unsuccessful for trade in that 1871-72 season, he still managed somehow to ship out over 750 prairie grizzly pelts and 1,500 elk hides. Those are not animals that live on the prairie anymore, and I guess now we know better the reason why. Massacres forgotten, Sitting Bull went home, looked up with Wild Bill Cody, took their show out on the road. Walsh went back to Brockville, which really was a shame, even though he really had no choice, he shouldered all the blame. Redcoats took things over, cause they always get their man, while the government in Ottawa never really gave a damn. The natives from the Cypress Hills moved to reservations. Now everyone is happy in our perfect little nation. We climb up to the highest still and look to the horizon. Watch the blood red sunset or the full moon when it's rising. Gaze in all directions as far as you can see. There's nothing quite so pretty as the hills that shouldn't be. But climb up to the highest hill. Uh, my name is Hugh Henry, and we're at the Valley View Bible Camp, south of Shonovan. And how did we get here? Well, um, as part of our, our pilgrimage, our trek, I contacted different landowners and sort of plotted up uh, a different sort of stage each day where we would start, where we'd stop, and just decided that this might be a nice spot to uh, spend the night. Uh, it's very close to the trail that we're, we're going to walk, so just contacted the, one of the uh, managers of the sites and uh, gave us permission to stay here. Tell me what went wrong last night and this morning. Well, a little, like, I guess uh, life went wrong a little bit. We, you know, it's, it's us planning, and, uh, and I think in terms of the planning of the stages, there was some flexibility in terms of if some things that delayed us. So what happened last night is we got a lot of rain, or it was uh, close to an inch, I would think. And so that sort of uh, put the damper on walking through the Frenchman River Valley. Uh, it would have been hard slugging, and when we intended to start out this morning, it was still raining, uh, even though it's quite nice now. Uh, so that sort of delayed things and we just made a decision to uh, not walk today and just hope that things are better tomorrow. How did it come to be that you were walking the Northwest Mounted Police Trail, Patrol Trail? Uh, I was contacted by Matthew Anderson. Uh, actually he contacted the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society and I happened to be on the board of directors and uh, being in the southwest part of the province I am what's called the convener of the Northwest Mounted Police Trail and that means uh, a couple times a year going out to a different part of the trail and just assessing the condition of the, the markers that were, were, were put there in the early 1960s and painting the posts, uh, seeing if the plaques on top are in good condition and if the posts are leaning or knocked over and so on. Uh, just taking uh, notice of all those things and then doing repair work as needed. And so, uh, and so being retired and uh, very interested in in the geography and so on, uh, it sort of was a natural pairing up that uh, Matthew and I worked through this process to uh, 
you know, develop the walk and uh, get people involved, and uh, here we are. As far as I know, Hugh Henry of the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society and I were the first in over a century to take the trail from Wood Mountain to Cypress Hills on foot. Hugh and I were accompanied for much of the way by Richard Cottowich from Regina. Richard, a good friend of mine, is Métis, but also adopted Carry the Kettle First Nation, which sees its traditional lands as still existing in the Cypress Hills. Much of the area we were planning to cross on Treaty 4 lands was once Assiniboine, and Richard had signed on quickly to the project. As Hugh and I walked the Trader's Road, or the Wood Mountain to Cypress Hills Trail, we were joined at various times by a couple of dozen other walkers. Some walked only a few hours, others were with us for days. No one, and I mean no one, walks across the open prairie in Saskatchewan. The most common reaction that we got from passing farmers was that they would roll down the windows of their trucks and ask where we were broken down and, and if we needed help. Many just assumed that we'd run out of gas somewhere. Unlike a pilgrimage like the Camino, or even the St. Olaf Way in Norway, on the Wood Mountain to Cypress Walk, there were no cafes, very, very few people, and very few sign postings. For most of that walk, we had to carry several liters of water on our backs just to stay hydrated. So you like the challenge? Oh yeah, personally, yeah, it's, it's the challenge for me. And again, it makes me connect in, in so many levels in terms of the natural, the landscape, the natural history, and as well as the human history. What's been a, maybe one highlight of the trip so far for you? Um, the highlight so far is, I think, the four of us uh, walking that, those first five days, um, really getting to know two other individuals quite an intimate level. I mean, their life experiences, their dreams for the future, you know, the, the problems day to day. Um, you know, it's you sometimes, in a sense, divorce yourself from the land that you're walking across when you're doing that. But, but um, you know, maybe it takes that walk across the land to sort of slow down and, and have the time and take the time to sort of get to know somebody else. And uh, so that's, I think that's been the, the most rewarding, uh, that part of it. Great, thank you. I, do you want to say anything else? No. I'm excited <laughs> to go walking again. I'm shopping at the bit. Peter Fiddler named it La Montagne du Supreme, even though there wasn't a single cypress tree, a forest full of lodgepole, and not a single jack. Take your pitch and pine tar, don't bother coming back. So tell me your name and where we are. Okay. <laughs> My name is Richard Kotowicz, or Rick. And I, uh, we're at Fort Walsh in uh, Cypress Hills. Well, I started uh, with the trek in, in Wood Mountain, at Wood Mountain Post and uh, onward uh, for six days. Went back to work in the city for a week and was full of thoughts when I got back to the city. Not that many thoughts on the prairies walking, but when I got back to the uh, city, I thought, you know, that was pretty special. You know, it was trying at times, challenging, but also pretty special. And so I was happy to be able to come back and join for the last three days for a total of nine days, maybe a hundred miles, something like that. 
came back to finish. I came back for this day and for this last walk. And how does it feel then? It feels good. It feels, yeah, it feels gentle. It feels good. It feels like I should be here. But climb up to the highest hill. Uh, Louise, did you know much about the Cypress Hills before the walk? Um, not a whole lot, actually. Um, I'm ashamed to admit, um, but uh, I, I, you know, it was really interesting to to learn about uh, the different reactions, especially around Cypress Lake. When we got there, we camped overnight. Um, one of my friends, they didn't want to stay overnight. The energy was too heavy for them. Um, but I had, I want to tell them about mm -hmm. it. I had a wonderful dream myself of being at the lake. And what I dreamt was um, quite in, in invigorating for me because, uh, well, you'll understand it when I explain it to you. Um, but I was uh, standing there and I was invited by a young woman to follow her and, be, and um, that we, myself and one of our walker friends were invited to walk with her. And there was two circles of women two separate circles of women singing and drumming. And, um, and uh, she wanted to invite us to a ceremony. So I said, well, just a minute, I'm gonna just go get my ceremonial dress. And Peter was packing our car. And so I had to dig through um, our luggage to find my ceremonial dress. I put that on and the young woman uh, and the drummers, the young woman led and I followed her with my friend and the drummers followed us. And we walked through the lake. And my, my, my dress was sopping wet. And then we had a tiny little hill to climb over. And that was the dream. It was along the shores of this same Cypress Lake that a group of Nehiyao, or Plains Cree, under Big Bear, a group of Assiniboine under Piapot, as well as Salto, Nakota, and other groups had gathered. Over the winter of 1881 and 1882, thousands starved, suffering through prairie blizzards and cold without proper shelter, food, or clothing. Corrupt government officials double-billed for meat rations that never arrived. Indigenous leaders had received guarantees in the treaties that they would choose their own territories, and Piapot, Big Bear, and others had chosen Cypress Hills. But the same government that signed the treaties had no intention of keeping them. They wanted the First Nations out of Cyprus, and they did not want any one place to have a concentration of indigenous groups or population. So by the time another year had passed, the Northwest Mounted Police had become virtual open-air prison guards. Using starvation as a tool for forced relocation, you can, by the way, see this in James Daschuk's great book, Clearing the Plains, authorities expelled about 5,000 indigenous people from the area in that brief period, in the exact same months as the Canadian Pacific Railway Line building crews reached Cyprus, bringing European settlers, like my grandparents, along the train line. To make way for pioneers, the Cree, Salto, Assiniboine, and Lakota were forced north and east. They left many of their dead behind, some on the shores of Cyprus Lake. The land's heavy with the history. That was particularly felt for me 
around Fort Hoopup in, in the Cypress Hills near Fort Walsh, which is why Fort Walsh was established, as you know, and the, um, the massacre that occurred there in the death. So it's a conflicted history as well, not always a, a happy one, but you have this sense of the circle of life and the, the challenges that uh, we pose upon the land and indigenous people by a settler presence and a transported history that doesn't really need to be imposed anywhere at all, quite frankly, but was. For me, every piece of this earth is sacred. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, uh, I've traveled uh, extensively in internationally and I'm always awed by the land and her formations and her speech and her language and, and, um, and, and, and in different cultures um, be, pay homage to the land in different ways. And, 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 and of course, she sustains us and we have to look after her because we're going to destroy ourselves. And COVID is an example of that destruction. I sometimes reflect on how sad it is that the majority of the population are in urban areas and they don't have that opportunity to experience it being out on the land. Or if they do, they're, they're completely uncomfortable. They, they don't see it as nurturing. They see it as something that's perhaps threatening. And I think we, we really have to be careful and ensure that the people, particularly as children, learn the, the beauty of the land and get out on the land and experience it in a respectful way. Uh, not, not like consumers, but, you know, with, with the appropriate reverence, get out on the land so that they can appreciate how important it is to, to preserve it because if it looks after us. I think it's increasingly a privilege to be able to have these sorts of experiences that are so personal, so intimate, uh, so unvarnished, so elemental uh, to be able to be on the land and commune with it in that way. I also want to note one more time that Hugh Henry was our guide on this walk as he has been on all of the Long Prairie walks since. It's Hugh who calls landowners, who makes the arrangements, who provides for logistics and accommodation, and in his own quiet way provides leadership on all of these walks. And all of us who have taken these walks thank him. What, what, what I want to say about Hugh is he's got the most generous, humble heart. He's an incredible leader. He, he's not afraid to delegate uh, uh, to those interested other leaders uh, of um, where to walk on the prairie. He would just point the way and say, oh yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll meet you there, <laughs> you know? And, 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 and that's a good leader. That's a sign of a good leader. And, and, in, and, and in the process of this delegation, he is always aware of what's going on with people and encouraging those of us to look after each other. Uh, he's, you know, I, that's the kind of leadership I like, you know, and respect. And um, he's so respectful. He's so generous and humble. And uh, I just love him, you know, he's a fine human being. Did you figure out where we're going? Yeah, thank you. Just Alan, me give me a couple more uh, that aren't on my list here, so. You had quite a while ago, bros. Yeah, it was, I don't know how we got uh, 
so far south because you know it's, it lines up here pretty well with the, with the Mary Flat Road. Like oh yeah, Clinton and Mary Flat Road is straight west, and so yeah. I, I thought to well, we well, we get up a mile. Cause it, did you cross? You started Brown's yeah. Road coming out. We always start right at the ranch. Yeah. So we come down just to get into the, around the corner and come up from Cooley here. Yeah. And I thought for sure we're, at, we're a mile north, and then we come straight across. West. Yeah. He studied the trail ahead of time. He knows the land. He knows the land. He knows where yeah. we're going and what needs to be done. And then it's it's a case of trying to massage or, or herd these people <laughs> along the trail. Because that old trail goes, you know, yeah, you can actually follow, like, from, from uh, when you get over there. The folks who joined me and Hugh Henry for some part of that first 2015 crossing of the Northwest Mounted Police Patrol Trail included Harold Stepoon, Hayden Thomason, Catherine Scott, Richard Kotowicz, Madonna Hamel, James R. Page, Don Bolin, Alan and Gwen Ann Jorgensen, Trevor Harriet, Branimir Yetvai, Simone Hengen, Barbara Anderson, Kristen Catherwood, Norma Hain, Stu and Cindy Tash, and Randy Walker, as well as Dave and Esther Green on horseback. I guess, in the end, there's just too many people I'd like you to meet and so much to say about the Wood Mountain to Cypress pilgrimage that we'll have to come back to the Trader's Road next episode. For now, thanks to Stu Tash for starting us out at the beginning of this half hour with his comments about the land and its history. Thanks for that clip to George Sugrianis, a filmmaker from southwest Saskatchewan who knows the trail and us walkers well. Some of the music on this podcast was taken from Stu Tasha's wonderful musical, The Cypress Hills Would Never Be the Same, and Stu is the songwriter. Musicians on those segments are Dave Sika, guitar and lead vocals, Mark Penner on guitar and backup vocals, Liza Doyle on banjo, Ed Doyle on upright bass. The spoken word piece is by Madonna Hamel and from her piece Hearth Day, written during the Wallace Stegner residency at East End, Saskatchewan. Look for more from both Stu Tash and Madonna Hamel. But probably you should not. If the wolfer is Tom Hardwick, you just might get shot. Cypress hills were lawless, that the wolfers knew. The traders quickly followed, and the wolfers followed too. MacDonald soon determined that a presence would be best. Troops were soon assembled. And if you'd like to know more about this trail, whether you call it the Northwest Mounted Police Trail, or the Traders Road, or the Wood Mountain to Cypress Trail, look for it at www.somethinggrand.ca or check out the website for the Saskatchewan History and Folklore Society. Thanks to Skydancer and Peter for the interview for this episode. Thanks to all of those walkers who continue to walk that trail and keep those memories and that decolonization alive. And thanks to James Anderson for the podcast theme music. I want to recognize that the Concordia University Part-Time Faculty Association, or CUPFA, partially funded some of that first walk we took years ago and also funds this podcast. I'm Matthew Anderson, The Staircase Pilgrim, and I look forward to seeing you next episode of 
pilgrimage stories from up and down the staircase. I'll give the last word to Madonna and her spoken word piece, written while looking out over the same land she walked with us back in 2015. There's nothing quite so pretty as the hills that shouldn't be. Dreams are prophets themselves, or once they were held that way, they see ahead of us, they know no fear, they do not speak in terms of limited time or hindered space. Theirs is the language of infinite associations where vitality meets grace. Together we've been tethered, ground to a halt, so why not start over together too? Instead of just dragging ourselves through a long piece, leaving behind fragments of an ineffectual shift, with no real leap of transcendence or clarity achieved, what if we all slowed down on permanent reprieve from the rat race and the breakneck pace. No one gets a head start, no siphoning on the side, no one saving face. We set the bar at a saner height. We all take a month off every year and sleep a little longer every night. We all stay close to home, walk the shorelines and the hills, invite the neighbors over for a barbecue or cards or a puppet show because you always wanted a neighborhood where people get together and marvel at each other's potato salads and how fast the children grow. The old nightmares where we wandered alone in all the wrong places, well, they're everybody's weird dream now, and they don't go away when we wake. We can turn for solace to our devices, kill time like it's for our own good, or we can catch the sun setting over our neck of the woods. We can take to the hills where the dinosaurs roamed, where the deer and the antelope play, oblivious to the living and the dead. Where if ever is heard an encouraging word, we can take it and eat it like bread.